He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And as we just sang, you will too. I'm sure we've all experienced uh, an instance in which uh, context has drastically changed uh, what we thought was maybe a very simple phrase. Uh, where you say something in, in one setting and say it again in another setting and it kind of takes on a completely different meaning. And, and I think that's, that's precisely what we, what we encounter here in our, our gospel reading this morning. Here in that reading recounting the resurrection of Jesus. The angel says to the women as they come to the tomb, He is not here. Right? Who, who knew simple words like he is not here would drastically change everything for those women, for his followers, for all of history, for you and, and for me? Right? We, we've all heard those words before. We've all had those moments in our, in our childhood, right? Running to our neighbor's house, hoping that they can come out and play. And, oh, I'm sorry, he's not here. You'll have to come back some other time. Or, or, or trying to reach someone by the phone and, and getting the response, I'm sorry, so-and-so isn't here. You'll have to call back later. But we don't expect to hear that about dead people, do we? You don't go to a cemetery to, to visit a loved one's grave and, and find a note on the headstone that says, sorry, he's not here, he's moved on. And, and the women on that Sunday morning, they didn't expect to hear it either. They, they're traveling to the tomb that day, what, a day that really for them was expected to be a, a, a day of mourning. A day of, of remembering their, their beloved teacher and friend. But as they traveled to that tomb that morning, everything changed. Suddenly the, the earth began to shake beneath them. And as they entered or drew near the tomb, they see that the stone had been rolled away from the front of the tomb. And there on the top of the stone is an angel sitting in, in bright white clothing. And they stand in, in terror of this sight. And as they enter the tomb, the angel says to them, I know that you seek Jesus of Nazareth, this man who is crucified. But I'm sorry, he, he's not here. He is risen just like he said he would. And then this angel sends them to, to go to tell his disciples, to, to go forward. And as they're going to tell his disciples, who do they encounter but the resurrected Jesus standing before them? And he greets them. And so seeing this Jesus, they do the only thing that it makes any sense to do. They fall at his feet and they worship him. They worship the one who's come back from the dead. He is not here. He is risen just as he said he would. If those words 
changed everything back then, and those words can still change everything right now. You know, one of the things that I think we perhaps miss in this story from time to time, because many of us have have heard it over and over again, is, is really just how shocking this scene is. We miss how how shocking it would have been to see Jesus come back from the dead. I mean, think, just imagine for a moment how shocking it would be to you if a dead person was not where you left him. Things don't work that way. And, And even for these first century Jewish women who would have expected a day when God would come and raise all the dead... They still would have been shocked at this. That that time wasn't supposed to come quite yet. I mean, they had just saw him hang on a cross in agony, bleeding and dying, gasping for his life. And to see him risen from the dead is, is completely and utterly shocking. It's overwhelming. It's frankly terrifying. This scene is so shocking that for for good reason, many are skeptical. Many are are rightly skeptical that that this could actually happen. And and so people have often just relegated it to the realm of of fiction or wishful thinking. uh, That that this is simply maybe a hoax. A a story that was told for people to garner a following and, and gain power and influence. That, that perhaps this story was, was just some private religious experience, a, a way to remember the legacy of Jesus. And so they began to tell these stories of a resurrected Jesus. But you see, the reality is, is, is the scriptures don't allow us to think that way. That, that to take these claims at face value can't be to just kind of put them in in sort of this private experience, this this way of remembering Jesus. Because resurrection in the first century for for Jewish people meant something very specific. It, It was not a way to speak of someone and remember them. It was not a way to talk about someone whose soul was in heaven with God. Resurrection meant very simply, whether people affirmed it or didn't, meant Body and soul raised together, physically. Physical resurrection is what resurrection is talking about. So when we hear this claim, we have to take it seriously. Now, now people could certainly discount it and, and just say, well, they just made it up. But, it, but if they just made it up, this is a rather public claim, one that is easily falsifiable by simply presenting the dead body of Jesus. And even if they stole the body or hid the body away, this doesn't address the reality that Scripture speaks of Jesus appearing to more than 500 people. The claim there is, look, if you don't believe this, go and ask them. Countless eyewitnesses sharing the same experience. You see, the fact of the matter is is that the most reasonable explanation for the events of history and what we read in the New Testament is the terrifying and joyous reality that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead bodily. 
A man by the name of, of Yaroslav Pelikan, he says it this way. He says, if Christ is arisen, then nothing else matters. And if Christ is not arisen, then nothing else matters. That, that if Christ did, in fact, rise from the dead, then this is the most important reality, the most important event in all of human history. It is the event in which all of history finds its meaning, the event in which your life can find its meaning. If Christ is risen, nothing else matters. If Christ is risen, then there is no other response than the response of the women when they see Jesus fall down and worship him. And we're gathered here today to celebrate the truth that we declare with all the church throughout the world and throughout history that Christ has died and Christ has risen and he will come again to raise us with him. And and I believe that his resurrection speaks magnificent truth over all of our lives and over the life of the entire world. That, that it is, in fact, the event in which all of history finds its meaning. And, and I believe that the resurrection says two things about us, about our lives, and about the life of the world. Now, now certainly you could say more than just two, but I think in two simple words, we discover what the resurrection says about us. The resurrection says that we are loved and the resurrection says that we have a God who wants us to have life. I believe that that everyone, religious or unreligious, is looking for places that they can find love and acceptance and places to find life. For example, if you've ever changed anything about yourself, changed the way you dress, tried to change your appearance or, or anything to, to please someone or, or a group of people or to try to fit in. What you're looking for is love. If you've ever taken interest in something to, to impress someone, what you're looking for is love. If you've ever taken up golf to impress the boss and hopefully get a promotion, what you are looking for is love. And acceptance. The reason that many health experts are actually beginning to speak of loneliness, of all things, loneliness as a public health crisis, is because what everyone needs, what everyone is looking for, is love. We are all looking for love. We are all looking for for acceptance and and the reality of sin is that it tends to cut us off from love. Sin makes it feel like we have things that we need to hide from one another, things that we need to hide from God. Right, what's the picture of Adam and Eve right after they fall into sin in Genesis chapter 3 is they run and they hide themselves. Sin isolates us and it cuts us off from God. It cuts us off from one another. Sin cuts us off from love. And because of sin, love is something that we feel like we need to have to prove our worth in order to gain, something that we have to earn. 
You see, the resurrection in the entire story of Jesus, it speaks of a God who loves his creation so much that when we fell into sin, when we turned away from him, that he didn't cast us aside. He didn't just start over when he could have. No, instead what God did is he enters into the mess to show his creation and to show humanity just how much he loves us. That God sends his son to be born into the flesh, to bear our sin on the cross and to rise victorious, to declare once and for all that we have a God who loves us. And it's because of the work of Jesus that we have the promise that we who believe in him will dwell with him for all eternity in his restored creation, freed from sin, freed from death, freed from its bondage to decay. That we will live there in that restored creation in his kingdom and we will be the objects of his love and his affection for all eternity. The resurrection speaks to us that we are loved. And it's because of that love that we can find life. We all know that that we live in a world where where countless things are promising us life in one form or another. A happier life, an easier life, a a simpler life, a, a more meaningful life, whatever that may be, countless things are promising us life. Right, Buy this gadget and and you'll have more free time. Your life will be easier. Only to find that that gadget ends up occupying all of our free time. Try this diet or or this exercise regimen and, and you'll be more beautiful, more lovable. Your life will be far more meaningful. Buy this thing. Fill your life with this stuff. Gain more success, and then you'll know what life is. Or or vote for this person. Buy into this ideology. Or perhaps if we just drop one more bomb, then we'll be able to create our utopia. Then we'll be able to create the lives that we've always wanted. What we're searching for in all of these things that we fill our lives with, all of these things that we put our hopes in, is we're looking for life. But you see, the reality is is that in the face of death, all of these things become nothing more than empty promises. That none of these things that we put our hope and put our trust in can actually deal with death. If you read throughout the book of of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, Solomon, he he pursues wisdom and he he pursues wealth and he pursues uh, pleasurable living. pursues all of these things and what he actually finds is that when it all comes down to death, none of it matters. It's all vanity, it's all waste and foolishness. Right? The, the wise man and the fool in the face of death are the same. The one who is wealthy and the one who is poor meet the same end in death. The one who lives li- a lavish lifestyle filled with pleasure, his end is the same as the one who has nothing but suffering. 
In the face of death, all of these things that we would put our hope in, all of these things that we would pursue after looking for life are laid to waste. They're nothing but rubbish, garbage. But you see, in the resurrection, what we discover is that we have a God who desires to deal with death. We discover the one who actually has the power to overcome death. No amount of wealth, no amount of power, no amount of stuff can ever deal with death. And in Jesus, we discover the one who actually enters into death for our sake and rises again to overcome it. The language that the New Testament uses to talk about what Jesus has done is this language of first fruits. The implication there being that Jesus is the first to rise, but there is more to come. That same resurrection that Jesus had is promised to you and to me. And so in Jesus, and and that call that he makes to his followers to come and follow me, is not just to follow him in the way of obedience, but actually to follow him into life. That Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection, that is the path for us to actually discover true and eternal life. The resurrection is the promise that in Jesus we can discover what it actually means to have life. The resurrection speaks to us love. It speaks to us the promise of life. Come and stand at that empty tomb of Jesus. Fall at His feet and worship Him. Here again, the promise of that angel, that He is not here, but He is risen just as He said He would. And because He is risen, you can know that you are loved, and you can know that in Him, You can find life. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.